Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Nakshirzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Kader, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sidlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, gore, blood, death, memory loss, amnesia, war, ghosts, darkness, and enclosed spaces. Arc 5, Episode 12. Wake Clenched in the Frame from Continuous Installation by Karen Weiser. I had hoped... This day would never come. But if you're reading this, then it has. The stranger has returned, and the eight realms need you. It has no body, no mind, no soul. It cannot be killed. We did not defeat it. It cracked open the earth. It fought us and it left. Juan says it came here for a reason, but she doesn't know what the reason is. Shuhai said Sen sensed something else, something wrong, familiar about the stranger's presence. It felt stagnant, repetitive, like it had been here before, fought us already. Jinka wove a story about this, all of this. But Juan warned us not to tell of our own failure. The realms need their protectors. The realms need to think we won. And they must continue to believe that. We cannot falter. We cannot appear weak. It is as cynical Shuhai says, a paragon must be perfect. Nothing less. If you are reading this, then I am sorry. It has already begun. Find the others. Rally yourselves. Protect the realms against the stranger. You will win. I know you will. As long as your mind is free, Galtanger sings within your soul. Blessings from the Paragon before you. Karvach Turai. Dewey. Your feathered fingertips 
come to a pause atop the inscription inlaid into this hard, frosted stone. All around you, the cavernous silence of Karvachturai's crypt presses in on your ears. Your eyes behind those glistening glasses drawn to this final message left to the previous Paragon successor. You. The weight of the weave, and perhaps the world, seems to hang upon your shoulders as you read this message of apology and failure. What do you do? I think that Dewey doesn't read the whole thing out loud at first. He reads it to himself, and then you just hear him say, They failed. What? Who? The previous Paragons. That does not make any sense, because we are... Well, I guess I... I technically died. Maybe that's when they failed, but you are not. <laughs> yeah, the stranger wasn't... The stranger went away for a very, very, very long time. But they didn't defeat them. Dewey, what are you talking about? Uh, Rev sort of strides forward, like stepping uh, a leather boot onto the bottom rung of this dais. Because you're elevated up so high, like she's shorter than you for, for once, right? Looking up at you, like one black eye, one gold eye, trained on your face in, like, consternation. What do you mean they failed? They didn't defeat the stranger, and now it's up to us. And then he reads the whole thing to them, I think. Mm. I think as, like, the final syllable, Karvach Turai's own sign-off, like, rings, like, echoes out against, like, the slick stone walls with these, like, thick murals, like, raised off of it in, like, a base relief formation. Rev <sighs> lets out this, like, disbelieving expulsion of air, right? Like from the back of her mouth and turns around, right? Feather, black feather cape whipping. They didn't defeat it. It just left. I mean, that's good news for us, right? Maybe it'll just leave. It's, <sighs> maybe it got bored? No, no. Karvach Terai, she said it, she left this message for you as an apology, Dewey. She's, she's saying, I mean, the sign-off, she's telling you will win, but she can't guarantee that. She doesn't know that. Yeah, she's fucking dead. She's been dead for thousands of years, and if it's back, I mean, this opened with a, I'm sorry, it's back, you're fucked. Maybe V, like, grumbles for a bit, inaudibly, and then, did they survive way back then because they didn't have to finish the job, and now we have to? Are you implying that our predecessors purposefully slacked off? I mean, it could. Why else would you apologize if you didn't, you yourself, screw up? If they screwed up, they didn't do what they had to do. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't? They're the, they're the protectors of the realms. They were heroes of the people. They destroyed the old corruptive order and they established Andake as we know her. Why would they... Why would they allow this thing? Why would they allow the greatest evil Andake's ever known to get away? Well, if if they established it, then maybe they were worried about what would happen if they were gone. Who leads when the leaders all die? <sighs> but there's no way they would have known the stranger would have just left. If they didn't pour everything into fighting it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a world-ending monstrosity. Surely they must have known that as well. They would have poured every iota of resource they had into fighting that thing. Our dreams, V, Dewey, our, our dreams of being on that battlefield, of seeing the faces of the past paragons, it feels desperate. 
doesn't it? They, they, they would have known how apocalyptic its presence was. They wouldn't have underestimated it. If there's no Andake for them to steward after, what's the point? He kind of lets out a little bit of a chuckle. Let's look at the current pair of guns. Me, you, Rev, Dewey, Oka. Maybe they just weren't, you know, we're just getting by. We are do. we're just trying to do our best, right? And we're all fallible. Yeah. They say, they say in here that they, the Paragons had to be perfect. I felt that in the championship. I felt that all the eyes on me, I had to be perfect. I had to be somebody I wasn't. I, it was so weird and difficult and stressful. I feel that too in the court. Just look at how Sitlali treated me. They tried to kill me in single combat so they could claim my title, my perfection. It's nothing but an image and looks like our predecessors felt that too. Juan, that has to be Juan Ustoy, the previous paragon of Meng Shenzhi. She was the one who told the other paragons not to tell the truth. Not because of maliciousness, but because, well, they had to look perfect. Well, if there's anyone who can relate to not telling the truth, it's a V-Nox Shurzo. And if there's anyone who can relate to not being perfect, it's a Dewey Quirk. What if you told the truth? Oh boy, that is a... Oh, could you imagine if we went to the Alliance of the Eight and be like, Surprise, we're actually uh, pretty valuable and quite frankly, our predecessors weren't that great either. And I, I, It just sounds like a lot of pressure to walk around and have to try to be perfect when around some people but not other people and i mean i guess we all wear masks sometimes but what if you could tell the truth what if the thing that the predecessors messed up was not being truthful and that's why the prophecy didn't work with the paragons dying and the stranger being defeated a a lot of things with paragons uh, i have seen is not just like fighting i think v lets out um a heavy sigh if we don't give everyone else an Antake hope, they're going to rip each other apart trying to run from this thing. We're going to cause panic and people will get hurt in ways that we could have avoided. Could there not, could it not be inspiring that a Paragon can be, you know, a V or a Dewey instead of it being V or Dewey? Have you met Takto Kagan? She's absolutely yes. chomping at the bit to, oh, okay. Yes. I didn't, I wasn't sure. Uh, she's absolutely chomping at the bit to take this role away from me. There would be a grab for power if if we were like, hey, some of us mm, aren't going to cut it as paragons. Who wants it? But like, Taco is over. Stan, they can't have it? Like, I don't, it doesn't work like that, right? We've said that. We said that to Taktoa. We've said that to other people trying. Still trying. I know that intimately. Again, Sitlali tried to kill me to become Paragon, right. and obviously that right. didn't work. Right, right. We can't... V and Dewey are right, Abiku. We, we can't look weak. In times of crisis, people need strength. There's yes. something appealing about an everyman hero. I understand that, right? Like, Dewey and V and us, we're just people. But we're also not just people, Abiku. We were chosen... I don't even know if we were chosen by the Eight at this point. We were chosen by fate. By some force even greater than the gods of Andake. I mean, the Raven Queen, when she entered my soul, it was like being folded in the 
arms of an old friend, but she said something to me about not expecting it to have been me. The eight have very little control over who their paragons are as well. I... We need to look strong. Whatever you all think is best, I... I am just here to help and support how I can, and it seemed like... I, I don't know, having... At least with me, you know, you don't have to pretend. I know you are strong if you get upset and have a fight in intent, or if you, you know, fight a 80-foot-tall shadow man. Thanks, Abiku. V, is it you who has Oka's blood? Did you hold on to that vial? Uh, I, I think I have. It's gotta be in here Do somewhere. Yeah, I think it was given to Dewey. Maybe we can use it to call Dr. Eluso? I mean, they're like a total nerd, right? They'll know stuff about crypts and tombs and weird inscriptions and stuff. I think it would probably be a good bet uh, to try to call the good doctor. I think we get signal in here, Dewey says. It's like he's pouring blood into a bowl, I guess. What's signal? What is that? Yeah, is that some type of URL thing? Uh, I just don't know if it's going to work. And he lifts up the bowl. <laughs> yeah, you like uncork the disgusting, disgusting vial uh, Oka oh, left geez. for you. Yep. You pour this thick crimson liquid into the silver scrying bowl. And as soon as you do, like the edges of the bowl like light up with like sigils, right? Ding, 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 like runes light up. Uh, and all of you maybe like crowd over it while it's like sat on like a, a step, right? In the middle of the crypt. Well. Sort of like, you know, like cats looking over a fallen phone while it's going on for FaceTime, right? Uh, at the surface of the blood ripples and then grows taut, like a bedsheet being stretched on either side. And then it glistens, turns into a mirror-like substance and poof, all three of you get a flash of Dr. Luso's face. Those crystal blue eyes with spectacles, right? Their hair shaved on the sides with this crop of blonde on top. Uh, they, as always, seem to have had the scrying bowl mounted, right? At like a more flattering angle, like on, on the wall in front of their desk. They're looking at you like directly, like it's a Zoom call, right? Uh, and they seem to be writing furiously and they don't notice you for like a few moments. Oh, uh, hello, uh, Dewey, V, Rev, Ab Abiku, hi. Are you okay? Hey, yeah, we're good. We are in this crypt. Um, Dewey, Dewey, you're so funny. Hey, what? yeah, we're good. We're in this crypt. What's what's up, face? What's up, YouTube? I'm in this crypt. <laughs> Give bits now for me to uh, ransack these bones. Oh my god. For just 500 gold pieces, V will rob this crypt. Okay, we're streaming to an audience of one. We need to work on our content, sure, yeah. It's called networking, too, yeah. Okay, this is we're just so meta. Uh, v, like, jumps in, Doctor, uh, let me... So, we're in this crypt, Dewey was adamant. I don't think everything is fine, though, because we've got this message from the previous... There was a letter from Carvach. We failed. And Rev, like, juts, like, pushes, like, kind of past, like, Dewey and V, and just, I think, explains everything, right? It just comes out in a tumble, like, they talk about the inscription, they paraphrase it, you know? They, like, get get in front of you a little bit, Dewey, like, like she, like, covers, like, half of your beak, right? Like, with her, with her like, bulk. Uh, and when she's, <laughs> right, when she's done talking, Dr. Luso, who's paused in, like, writing whatever, like, letter they were writing, their eyes have gone a little wide, right? They're, like, nodding along. <sighs> They let out like a breath. They actually get up physically from their desk and begin to pace. This isn't good. This isn't good at all. You know, I, I'd had my hunch 
that something about the first stranger war wasn't quite right. I mean, why hadn't the Paragons left warnings like this in plain view to the other Paragons? Why aren't the strangers' weaknesses more well documented? Why don't more people in Andake know that our world was almost consumed by darkness millennia ago? But this all makes sense. They had to keep up an image, and they didn't know. They didn't know anything about the stranger. I mean, based on this letter Carvach left you, they didn't know what it wanted at all. You're you're in Carvach's tomb right now, right? The crypt underneath the Golden Hill? Yes, correct. It's getting dark out. Evening will roll in soon. Uh, this is an odd suggestion, but I think the four of you should sleep there tonight. In the, in the, Ibiku gets in front of, in the, in the, in the crypt? Yes, yes, inside the crypt. You don't have to crawl into a tomb, uh, like into someone's casket, uh, but I think you should sleep there with the letter. Uh, oh, not, oh. not, uh, hmm, how do I put this? Uh, Oka, I was with Oka, I was with the Dabathati crew. A lot has happened in Dabathati. There was a chrysalis conference, and and there was the chrysalis. It, it can't, it, uh, long story, long story. Uh, Ravi, you remember Ravi, right? Dewey, V? Yes. She, she died. Um, and uh, Oka was really torn up about it, so they laid Ravi's uh, body to rest at this blood hunter temple in, in the scrublands, the Jadidan scrublands to the south of Dabathati. And while by the temple, Oka fell asleep in a hole, uh, and they had a dream about Bazul, the, the, the previous paragon of Yudabathi, because the blood hunter temple is dedicated to Yudabathi. The connections between the past and the present and mysticism uh, is stronger in places of, of, of holy worship. So maybe you'll get, I don't know, visions or prophetic dreams, answers if you sleep there tonight. It's worth a shot. We did just fight off the most disgusting ball of limbs I've ever encountered in this place, though. And you want us to have a sleepover? Is it dead? Yes. The- yeah. Uh, and Dr. Luso, like shrugs and nods then you should be okay. We also have someone with us who doesn't really need to sleep. Um, v looks to Obiku. Yeah, I back. Yes, um, it's, it's just very cramped. That There's not a lot of space for rest, resting. Uh, and, like, we pull out and we see it's a massive crypt chamber. <laughs> you know what I mean? With, like, tons of space, like, around the central inscription we, like, go back into, you know, into the scrying bowl. Really? That's surprising. Yeah, yes. Given the fact that Karvash was a gigantic centaur woman and had a thing for, you know, appearing huge. Surprising that she'd be buried in such a small chamber. Well, it's, I am, I am very, I am big. I was, I do not know how big she was, but I am very big. Abiku, are yes. you scared of crypts? No. Abiku, are you lying? <laughs> Abiku is not afraid of crypts. Abiku is afraid of being in full view while, while resting with everyone. Mm. Okay. Why don't you, uh, anyone who wants to can insight check Abiku at this juncture, I think, to see, like, what's going on with Abiku. Is she, like, scared of zombie attacks or something, or is there something deeper? We all know her insight score is so, it's, it's so low. You can roll, you can roll deception or performance to contest the insight if you want, Abiku, or you can let people roll. (laughs) I'll, I'll try. (laughs) Do you roll a 10? How's, how's Abiku's roll compare? You got 15. (laughs) Abiku got a 4. 
Ibiku is an open book, if you yeah. ask her. What do people see when they look at you, Ibiku? Why are you reluctant to sleep here? You, I think you see her just like, she, I think she starts talking. Like She's like, there are no walls to sit behind. Everything is just open. Like, I think you pick up on like her, the fact that it's like an open area. Like you're, everyone's visible. So far when people have rested, she's always like gone into her tent and you don't know. Like everyone's like, good night. She goes into her tent and doesn't, usually doesn't come back out. Well, we can set up a watch order like usual. I can also uh, cast alarm uh, in this area. So if anything bad enters or appears or is summoned, we'll know immediately. I can set it to be a really annoying high-pitched noise or perhaps a calling of a murder of crows. I think I'll do that. Stop giving me that look, Dewey. It's called an aesthetic that you stick to as a paragon. (laughs) It's my brand, okay? (laughs) Oh, Dewey has an aesthetic. Don't worry. Oh. Right, it's just not very intimidating. Sure. Maybe so. We maybe set up like a little little bubble to sleep in. Maybe a BQ pitch pitch a tent if you really feel like it. Sleep over in the crypt. Fantastic. Uh, says Doctor Lusso inside the blood bowl. Uh, make sure to update me on what happens uh, when you wake up. If you do have any prophetic dreams. Uh, or any visions that will answer all of our questions and tell us how to defeat the stranger. Uh, make sure to write that down so you don't forget, please. So I want everyone, if it's okay, and like Dr. Lucy kind of takes on like a teacher, like tone of voice, right? Like a preschool teacher or something. Like, make sure you take out a sheaf of paper or parchment or a journal and lay it open next to your bedroll. Please, we can't keep forgetting important details. Please. Is this a plea? Is Is Dr. Lucy or Connie? I don't know if I can tell the difference personally right now. If I get one more text about what was that lore drop, I swear. (laughs) Is there anything else uh, to report? Any questions or anything for me? Oh, dragons are also people. Huh? (laughs) Always good to talk to your dog. (laughs) Hold on, Cardu. Can I have some context for that, Epiku? Yes, I had a vision or dream or memory. I don't know. It was, I could like move around, you know, like a lucid dream, but I don't really dream. Anyway, there were dragons. I was fighting them. They were also people. They could like change into people. You've never dreamed before, Abiku. Uh, Dragons who turned into people. That actually, uh, that makes me think of some uh, lore from the Thousand Year War. Dragons, or so it is said, true dragons could shapeshift at will. Many of them had a preferred humanoid appearance, as well as their true draconic form. It was in their true draconic forms that they were at their most powerful, but also their most vulnerable. Because if you kill a dragon while they're in their full dragon form, then they die permanently. Oh, they they died as people, too. Also, giants can shapeshift. Huh. Well, I might have to dig through my thousand-year war uh, literature and Dr. Lusu, like, adjust the the side of their glasses to learn more about shape-shifting giants, but it's possible that giants could also assume, well, a a gigantic form uh, and then shrink back down to a more respectable eight or ten feet. Uh, But again, a vulnerable state. Abika kind of, like, I just thought you wanted to know, and then, like, kind of bends out of frame. Oh, uh, 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 goodbye, Abiku. Well, uh, Dewey, Rev, V, any other updates or questions for me? I think it's probably good for us to also mention when we were in the chasm, we had a dream that wasn't like our normal dream. What do you mean? It was kind of just uh, excruciating pain for eight straight hours. It was not pleasant. But we were sleeping in the chasm, around the chasm, and 
it was different. It was a different dream. There was no stranger in the fight and it's just pain. Yeah, the details escape me now, but these, right, it was just pain and this sense of, I don't know, a, a mother, right? Yes. A mother. Well, we do know that the URL, well, Dr. Ting referred to, well, what we assume to be the stranger as mother. Perhaps that's odd. In the, in the chasm, really. I've always had my suspicions about the chasm. It's always had odd readouts, especially deep, deep, deep within. Mm, if I have time between alliance meetings, I'll see if I, how far I can go down and maybe take a look around. I'll talk to the Kui as well, the Hoofbright clan, to see what they know. Excellent. I think that's all I've got. I'm sorry about that dream, V. That sounds excruciating. Yeah, it was pretty uh, unsettling, but, you know, we had to keep moving on. We're hot on the trail of uh, Galtanger. Aren't we, Dewey? Uh, always good talking to you, Doc. Oh, okay. Um, uh, bye. Uh, <laughs> the blood, like, swirls again with that awkward hang-up. Rev also, like, waves goodbye, right, as a, a crimson eddy, like, like, washes Dr. Lucy's face away, and then it's just blood again. You're gonna pour that back into Oka's vial, right? I guess. We don't want to attract blood termites. Good termites? Like, I don't like that you know that. Uh, they're a common pest in the in the Paluto wield. Attracted to corpses, blood? they can swim, it's a thing. Alright. You never ran into blood termites while you were in the court? You're all over the swamp. Alright, uh, Dewey hastily pours, tries to pour from a bowl into a small vial. Right, uh, do you use a funnel? <laughs> do you carry a funnel? No, I don't have a funnel. <laughs> Okay, you, you pour maybe like some blood that like, goes off like your hand, ew, and like around the vial. Yeah, and you pour it and you cork it. And at this point, Rev is like setting up camp. Uh, so tell me, how did the three of you like wind down for the night? I think starting, V's going to help and uh, actually get like the little bonfire set up. And actually just a new skill of hers, all of her playing with fire, she's learned to control it just to get a create bonfire situation. So lights a little bonfire in the middle of camp. And I think V is also from that conversation with Dr. O, probably thinking about the carnival when she ran into her father in that illusionary place, wondering now, like, well, maybe that really is what my father looks like. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, and yeah, I think she's just thinking a lot about dragons tonight. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Your mind is like consumed by like images of dragons, your father, the carnival, this, all of this has left a lot for one V Noxherzel to chew on, uh, as maybe you cast bonfire on a pile of logs that Reva set up, uh, and you begin to, like, unroll a, a bedroll. What about you, Abiku? Uh, I think the first thing Abiku I'm gonna do is, I know at least the smell is not great, and I think over the bonfire, I'm gonna drew craft the smell of, like, peony petals or something. So, like, and over the fire... Because it can't be, like, the whole room, but then the fire will, like, carry the smell because it'll waft throughout the room so the room smells a little bit nicer than, like, mm. the grossest corpse of corpses I've seen. Uh, with a uh, poof of magic, the weave twangs, and before the smell of peonies, wafts up from the smoke and begins to fill this chamber. Abiku, you and you alone get just, like, a quick burst of lavender uh, as you cast this spell, and then it just sort of subsides, like, settling over your shoulders like pollen. I think she will just sit. <laughs> Abika sits. Damn. Cool. Uh, until people are settled in and ready to talk. 
Mm. Speaking of which, Dewey, how are you winding down? Dewey, after helping set up tents or whatever, um, he spends a little while sitting at the top of the steps, um, kind of just gazing up at the mural and the inscription, um, like he's studying it further, but if someone were to like tap him on the shoulder, he'd be like, huh? And they're like, what does it say? And he'd be like, uh, he, he isn't actually studying it. Mm. At the top of the stairs, you look up at um, the tomb. It's huge. You're like, mm, like three or four of me's could fit in that tomb a little bit. <laughs> uh, the inscription itself and behind it, uh, a stone sun, the rays of Galtanger spoking out, right? Like the spikes on a wheel crawling across like l- the left and right side of this chamber and then into the hallway you you came down from. Right, this huge mural. Just looking at the sun, you sat at the base, neck crane staring up at it. And as you gaze up into this like carved version of Galtanger, it seems to gaze back at you, right? Like the rays getting bigger and bigger. And Dewey, what feeling washes over you looking up at this representation of the god you're supposed to accept into your soul? I think he's just, he just keeps going over uh, the last lines of the inscription that were like, I'm I'm sorry. And he just keeps thinking, I don't want to have to write that letter. As you're thinking that, like, maybe even unbidden, like you see a flash of Uulani's face across your mind's eye, followed by like a childish giggle and a flash of Hana's face as you think of all the things you don't want to have to pass on after you're gone, even if that has to happen. Uh, and eventually I think the person who does tap you on the shoulder is Rev, uh, who's just tap, tap, unceremoniously. Are you uh, gonna set up your bedroll? Because V and I are claiming tent space. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, sorry, just doing more research. Uh, and he closes up a notebook that's like empty. <laughs> There's nothing written in it. Uh, hey, Dewey, <sighs> listen. Pascal never left anything for me. I received a vision of them when the Raven Queen entered my soul, but that was it. And I know this message isn't very affirming, but I think maybe Carvach meant well. I would rather have even a dour message from Pascal than none at all. Yeah, it is maybe not the most reassuring, but it is nice to know that someone else was in this position. Hmm. All right, I'm going to grill some uh, vegetables for you over the fire. Uh, and you don't mind if I use the same sticks to grill meat, right? Or should I? Uh, I can I can help with cooking. Okay. Uh, and that was like, <laughs> as you like, Rev goes back down the steps, she goes, I don't want to cook anyway. You know, like <laughs> she had like suckered you into cooking <laughs> <laughs> that night. Right. She goes down the steps. I think like with that, you know, the fire beginning to crackle, right, vegetable and meat skewers going over the fire, the smell of like roasting spices starting to fill the chamber along with the smell of peonies. Even though we can't see it, you're sure that the sunless, starless sky outside has darkened into a fully deep obsidian at this point. Uh, And like a kind of dark chill also settles over your camp area, except like the fire's keeping everyone warm. I think um, while eating some one of like the meat sticks, V is gonna be like, you know, it is comforting to know that thousands of years ago these paragons had the exact same problems as us. Is it comforting to you? Because it kind of feels hopeless to me. Like, okay, I don't want to be a downer here. Um, 
disheartening. The way I look at it is maybe it opens up the possibility that there's a door opening that we kick the can 10,000 years down the road to the next group. <laughs> I'm optimistic. I'm more optimistic Ooh. about the whole thing. I please don't because I don't know why I came back and I'm worried that I would come back again. What if well, you, you had before. already come back during the first Stranger War? That's what and I'm saying. For now you're back done here. This, before. this is. And if I did cheese my type, that'd be a problem. Points back to the mural. Uh, <sighs> okay, so you need someone to, to kick you out of this reincarnation cycle so you stop. Yes. Sleeping with the wrong people. Yes. Wow, we are so much more alike than I knew, Biku. That that is good. We both know about dragons, and sleep with the wrong people. And looks at no, 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 no. Like paragons, I guess. I broke huh. the cycle. I broke oh. the cycle. Is that Years what you broke, V? Or was it my trust just now? No, no, I broke the cycle. Look, did you, I've told you about Sievert. Yes, I've yes, Sievert, Sievert. Oh, what Dr. Eluso said about the Chrysalis Conference. <laughs> I, I thought the Chrysalis were supposed to kill Sievert for you. Wasn't that the whole point of the pact you made with Adam? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I thought I just sort of like blew him off, literally. Uh, yeah, no, no, that they failed. That's, uh, they failed the, their end of the bargain, so obviously, when I have my time, those Christmas folks, they're gonna get or maybe they weren't to. intending to uphold their end of the bargain this entire time. Based on what Dr. Luso said, seems like the Chrysalis pulled a fast one over, over the Dabathati crew as well. He's, he worded it. There was the Chrysalis, and then there was the Chrysalis. Right. What, what does that mean? We never, we never followed up about Dewey. I wanted to follow up about that, but then you hung up on Doctor Eluso. What do you mean I by hung up? This is weird. <laughs> Sorry, let me recall that. Rev wouldn't know what hanging up means. Uh, Dewey, I wanted to follow up on Doctor Eluso, but then he had to do the swirly, swirly goodbye thing. We have to come up with a better name for that. The swirly, swirly goodbye. It would have. You could just say you ended the message. That's yeah, just so call. vague. What's call? What's, what's a know, call? Like calling out. Like when you call out for someone, you know, you're like, yes. Rev, like you call out, but you call out to Dr. Oluso, even though he's very far. Mm, I like that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ba back on track. You shouldn't have ended the call with Dr. Oluso so early. We had more follow-up questions, Cardu. Now I have to wait until morning for that blood thing to recharge. Yeah, do we? We'll have plenty more to talk to Dr. Oluso about in the morning. Hopefully yes. not, but... So Speaking of morning, um, I will not be able to take a watch. What? What? Why? You don't need to sleep. It, it, no, but I need to rest, and so I will not be able to take a watch. But we all need to rest. That's why we're taking turns, I thought. I could ask Sun to take my turn. Is Sun particularly good at keeping watch? I don't know. Whenever they do it, I am not there. Abiku, are you keeping more secrets from us? Yes. Do you want to share these secrets with us? Um, maybe. We won't judge you for them, but if there's information that would be helpful to us to understand... It's what not you're helpful, it's mostly just terrifying. <laughs> it's gonna take a lot to scare someone like me. Maybe not Dewey, but me. Dewey, cover what? your ears. No, I'm curious now. 
when I have to rest, which I try to avoid, besides when we take a sit, you know, drink some water for a few minutes, um, when I need to rest to replenish my magic and the power I give to Sun, I sort of die. Huh? What do you I mean, sort of? Sort of die? For eight hours straight, I become motionless and unable to be stirred. I'm still, like, awake, like I am conscious, so it's kind of terrifying because, like, everything's going on around me, but I'm, like, stuck. Like, like, uh, like, um, when some people have a hard time waking up, you know, when they, like, feel like they're, like, falling, but they, like, are asleep and they can't wake up all the way. That's horrible. And you yes. have to stay like that for eight hours? Yes. I usually cry, so I like to be in private. Oh. Okay, okay. yeah, Abiku, why don't you take it off? Take it easy tonight. You you can go in a tent, face one of the walls here if you want some privacy. You won't hear me because I I can't move, but... Okay, yeah, why don't we... uh, And Rev's like looking at Dewey and Envy. Let Abiku cry silently while stuck in a persistent sleep paralysis state uh, tonight and the three of us and Sun can pass off uh, watch duties. Sounds like a good idea. Thank sure. you for sharing that, Abiku. That was, uh, I'm sure that was difficult to share, but now I'm glad you, uh, let us know. Oh, yes, I'm trying to not keep secrets because I'm bad at it. <laughs> I wasn't going to say uh, anything. Well, thank you for telling us, Abiku. It seemed important. I can usually make it a few days, but then we fought that thing and it was kind of a lot. Yeah, that thing was disgusting. All right, uh, Rev stands up, cracks your knuckles. I'm going to cast Alarm just around the periphery of where we're staying. I can take first watch, I don't mind. Okay, uh, just to clarify, is Abiku staying in the tent, or are you and V also going to stay in the tent? Oh, well, we have s- several tents. Uh, v and I o- okay. always share a tent. Dewey, I... <sighs> is that your way of asking if you... Are you scared from Abiku's tail? Do you want to sleep with V and me? Would that make you feel Dewey, better? Dewey can stay in the Certainly tent. Not. I will just sit against this. Abiku goes up to a wall. I can just sit against this wall. No, no, that's okay. Uh, no, really, it's fine. Don't you think? Don't you think that Dewey should like sleep right by that inscription, just in case you know something really calls? I think actually, maybe I will take the tent. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, maybe Abiku, you hand the tent over to Dewey uh, as he starts to set it up, right? And Abiku, you find a good place to face the wall or like sleep against the wall, right? And like stare off into the middle distance. Rev like finishes setting up this like uh, alarm circle, just etching runes along the entire massive periphery of this chamber. You feel like the weave sort of tightened into like a web, like a domed, half domed web around the top, around all of you. Uh, and V, I assume you've put up the finishing touches on your and Rev's tent together. Yeah. And I think V at one point, like, looks to a Biku while the setting up is going, but like, I would really love to get inside that head of yours sometime. Do you have a way to? You're welcome. Really? Uh, And V thinks about the time where she, like, went inside Rev's head to see all the stuff that happened. I don't know what you'll find in there. I can't promise you'll be safe, but you're more than welcome. If you find something interesting, please tell me. It does not seem to listen to me. You're, you're... Memories don't... Well, I suppose that's true. You keep falling. Uh, well, uh, V, like, looks around, like, is this a good time and place? Is this... V, like, strolls over to Abiku and, uh, all right, I 
really want to know about dragons as she's like casting uh, detect thoughts and really wanting to probe in to the inner workings of of Obiku's mind the best of her ability. Oh man, good luck. Okay. V, you cast detect thoughts and it's just like the time you cast detect thoughts on Rev as you like look at Abiku into those like pure white cloudy misty eyes, right? That dark skin with like a storm billowing across her cheeks and you plunge in between her eyes and into her mindscape, right? Like a pin, an icicle, a droplet of water pinging onto the surface of a lake. We see like ripples emanate from that point of contact as the tech thoughts that spear of your own psionic energy lances into a biku and you enter her mind the surface of her mind because the tech thoughts like gives you a freebie is hmm what's an apt metaphor here if people's minds are like houses right or rooms in a house uh then revs would be an old dilapidated manor right that used to be austere that has a thin layer of dust over things cobwebs in the corners but this sense of like opulence and a, a deeply loved like dark velvet feeling that would be revs right with like trees growing through rotted wood your mindscape, perhaps, would be a well-guarded museum or perhaps a palace uh, overflowing with gold, as Rev had joked once. Abiku's is a pillaged home. It's ransacked, like a beautiful, formerly gilded palace with precious artifacts inside comprising her memories that have just been smashed and scattered everywhere. Being inside Abiku's mind is like being inside a fucking cyclone. There are just memories swirling all over you, threatening to like whip against your own consciousness and shatter, right? Shatter you and miss like Abiku's own torn psyche. What do you do? I think V is going to look around and be uh, uh, taken back by just how messy this is and how violent uh, this place is. But she's determined, she's looking for dragons, and memories of dragons. And she's gonna continue to go a little bit deeper into this house and looking for any type of symbol of that dragons in her memory. Make an arcana check. Uh, oh, 14. Okay, that's a middling roll. Uh, so I think what happens is you shout dragon into this blustering, vicious void, and you see several strands of light light up in response, right? These thick, like, purple plumes, almost like ghostly wisps, just like swirling around the psionic shattered mindscape. Uh, and with a 14, one of them comes hurtling at you, right? Uh, like a shark smelling blood in the water. It, like, cuts through the other memories toward you and blasts against your, your body. Uh, and V, thinking dragon, Inside Abiku's head, the memory that comes up are, is a series of fractured images. First of all, the intense, overwhelming smell of lavender. Uh, and then you see a flash of a gold-flecked eye. Uh, and then a flash of uh, uh, purple silk. Uh, and then you see a gleam of like a pearly white like tooth uh, against like a full-lipped smile. You see dark skin, dark, 
darker than black, this beautiful, uh, dark, rich skin. And you also see uh, like thick, I think, twists, like black twists of hair, like falling in front of a plump, regal face. And then you I, you can't hold on any longer, uh, V, without taking massive damage from being inside Abiku's head. Uh, so I think you're like torn out of Abiku's mindscape uh, as this lingering breath of dragon expels you uh, with a puff of lavender uh, smell yet again. Yeah, and V like sort of like shakes back and like takes several steps back and like her brain, while not injured, uh, is like now she has like a wicked migraine because like w that memory just like really, again, thinking of the violence of Abiku's memories is like a, it was attempted like almost the idea of, of a sharp dagger or something in V's mind. She's like, Abiku, you're uh no wonder you don't remember much. Okay, so it was bad? I would say just needs, I think, a, a, a little bit of tidying up, a little bit of cleanup, uh, perhaps a little bit of obedience training. There's a, Your memories are violent, very violent. Well, I did kill a lot of people, at least once, so. I saw this purple... Purple... With gold eyes, black oh. swirling hair, smell of lavender. I do keep smelling. I do like the color lavender. It's my favorite color. What about the smell? It does smell nice. Hmm. But none of that rings a bell to you. No. I do keep smelling lavender, so that's like not shocking. But I. Did you find dragons? The person, the whatever I was describing. It was too shattered for me to fully get the picture, but I, I, Connie, it's not a stretch to say that that felt like dragon, would it? The yep. images I got. You said you put out dragon into the void, and the void responded with this image. So yeah, I, I thought of dragons, and this is what I saw: purple skin, gold eyes, black hair, smell of lavender. Didn't like that I was there. Okay, that's okay. So I there's okay. So dragon and didn't like. I mean I. I got nothing, but that's good too. That's new. So, dragon, purple, lavender, gold. Didn't sharp, like you. Sharp, sharp, tooth. sharp tooth. Well, dragons should have sharp teeth. Um, that's all. That's all new stuff. Well, I'm glad I could be of some use. That was. Uh, I think I might think twice about the next time I go in your mind. Uh, I might need to be a little more prepared for that. That was intense. That's that is fair. Thank you. I'm sorry you do not find If I remember stuff about dragons, I will make sure to tell you. I appreciate it, friend. We are friends? Of course. I didn't oh. even make you pay a fee for a fee. I, I made Dewey pay for my friendship. Oh. Don't we... worry, though. You're good. You're good. Oh, great. You've, you've got something in here that's just as valuable as paying that's good. for my I don't, I don't have a lot of money. I didn't. I don't know what to use it for, so I just kept giving it to Costas. Well, you're a very generous, generous woman. I appreciate that about you. It's uh, you're far more generous than I. But I know what it's like to not have any gold. So, oh, I, I just, people just give me things. Uh, you can make a pretty good living when people just give you things. And I think V is like still like nursing the migraine, like kind of like looking over like her tandem. Definitely I, just like blank staring at you. She doesn't know how to end conversations. All right. Uh. I I hope you enjoy your eight hours of 
paralysis crying. Uh, I I mean, I will not, but thank you for these sentiments. Thank you for all that you do. You're welcome. And he goes off to Rev in her tent. Yeah. (laughs) Rev has set up your tent, has fluffed up the pillow how you like it, like extra blankets for you, right? Like he's even put out like some of the grasses that she's kept with magic, like frozen in like a a perfectly picked time of the flowers that you picked for her before you set out. Nods and like opens up the tent flap for you to enter and you see this like beautiful little display. Oh my goodness. You've made a little paradise in a tomb. Well, I figured someone like you who's used to uh, rolling around in high places and also slumming it out in low places, deserves a little luxury. I think V, like, blushes a little bit and like, oh, I love you so much. I love you too. Uh, I'll see you when I uh, end my shift. Uh, I can wake you. Sounds good. Uh, and V, you enter this, like, cute little, <laughs> this cute little tent. Uh, as Dewey, I think at this point, you've also finished setting up a tent for yourself, right? Abiku gets to take the out- outside. And I think with that, like, the night settles in. Rev takes first watch uh, as V and Dewey, the two of you, drift off into slumber. And Abiku, you settle into a paralytic state, uh, lent up against the wall. Two of you dream. Dewey. I think, while Rev is still keeping watch, we, like, push through the tent flap, right? To where you're, like, curled up uh, on your bedroll, head on your pillow, pushing on your eyelids. And we see that your eyes are moving very rapidly, like, underneath your eyelids, right? Maybe you're even twitching, jerking a little, like, groaning, like, very quietly in your sleep. Dewey, what happens to you? Um, I think Dewey's legs and arms are twitching a little bit, and one... One of them just goes like a little bit too uh, violently and he like hits the side of the tent and it wakes him up and he sort of takes a moment and I don't know, gets up to like go get a drink of water to go pee or something. Um, And he's, if Rev is taking watch, he's going to try and like, he looks at her out of the corner of his eye and like tries to find a moment where she's sort of, you know, dozing off maybe. And he goes back up the steps of the dais. Ooh, without Rev seeing, you're going to take a yes. turn about the crypt? Yes. Okay. Rev's back is turned to you. Her he- her face is squarely fixed on, like, the only entrance and exit into this place. Mm-hmm. Smartly, right? So, underneath your feet, the steps are so cold. Like, a thin layer of frost has, like, rhymed and crystallized into existence over the course of the night. And, like, your cold feet slap over the tile as you, like, begin to walk up toward where this raised dais is. And Dewey's just whispering as quietly as he can. Garage. Garage. <laughs> what does this mean? What did you mean? Garage, are you here? I can't do this. Garage. Do he? I love this. Take inspiration, first of all. And second of all, I think you're whispering this as you re- as you reach the top of the dais, maybe like in front of the, like the tomb itself uh, and the inscription, and you're just sort of like entreating with like, with supplicating palms. And as you say this, it's almost like a kind of like dreamy haze sort of like drifts in on the sides of your vision, but it's happening in such a way that you don't even really notice it until it's happening. Like how like sometimes when you're in like deep slumber and and dreams and like dreams transition from one place to another, you don't notice it when it's happening because you're dreaming, right? And this like kind of like, it's almost like a sun smoked haze, almost like the, the, the base relief stone carved sun behind the tomb is like radiating warmth, right? And like a kind of misty golden warmth. And as you're entreating Kardvach, 
you hear a voice from behind you. What do you mean, Juan? It's not Juan, it's just me, Dewey. You turn around as you say these, like, startled words. And as on, on the movement of you turning, Dewey, you turn and you're on top of a hill. Uh, this hill is washed crimson. Not because the grass here grows red, but because the sky above you is the color of blood. And all around you on the horizon, you see strobes of like void lightning between these massive, like thousands of eyes, just all over the atmosphere, spanning horizon to horizon. And in the far distance, you see the stranger, bigger than the world, having cracked open the flesh of Andake, the flesh of the eight realms. But that's in the distance, it's still happening. Its feathered wings dripping with black, tarry, oblivious gore onto the ground, spawning monsters in the distance, right? It's so, it's so massive, but it's also so far away. And you also see in the distance, like, army camps. Like, massive, like, groups of people just, like, pulled around the feet of this stranger. You see, like, a ballistae going, like, launching massive catapults at the body of this thing. And, like, on, like, on the ground, soldiers, like, skirmishing with, like, monsters. But th that's happening really far away. They look like toy soldiers, right? You're at the top of the hill. And you see eight people sat around a bonfire talking strategy. The paragons of the eight realms are currently dressed in their military finest. And the person who just spoke, a proud centaur woman, Karvach Turai, her body covered in these like elaborate tattoos. She's like topless, right? She's got this like um, golden bow strapped to her back with no like quiver of arrows in sight, right? She's got like this like proud like length of hair like coiled right down her like rippling muscles. And she's currently like pacing like her hooves sort of stomping over and over the grass uh, around this like bonfire where you see like various like extremely unique looking people that you recognize as the past paragon sat around this fire talking. And Karvach is addressing a woman uh, across the fire, a half-elf woman uh, with this long black hair, this dark skin. Uh, and as she talks, you see like an eye has sort of opened sideways uh, on her throat, right? And it's sort of like blinking along with her two mismatched colored eyes. And you recognize her immediately from the Dream Shield. Uh, way back when you were first entering uh, too long, this is Juan Ustoy, paragon of Mengshin Jirdi. She's dressed in these like plain robes and is sitting like very calmly just on her knees in front of a Gutian. And she's sort of currently plucking at it and playing really calming music. Uh, but Karvach's like kind of distraught, anxious, like low growling voice cuts through like the music. Juan, we need answers. Why does it want to destroy us? Why is it here? You're the paragon of knowledge. What? What can you tell us, please? And Juan, still plucking at this Gutian, you watch as her like long straight black hair like falls into her face and without even looking up at Karvach, she says, promiscuous teleology is the belief that things serve a purpose or have a purpose when they don't. Water doesn't want to run or form into snow. Wind doesn't want to blow. The stranger doesn't want to destroy us. It has some other directive, serves some other goal that is currently obscured from us. And Karvach, the centaur lady, like stomps her like four like hooves onto the ground and just says, what? And cutting in 
is this kind of like shadowy person. They're made of just like pure, it appears like black wisps of just tenebrous fabric. Like they're like glitching almost like in and out of time and space. It's just like looking at a tornado, like a living tornado, right? Contained within a humanoid, vaguely humanoid shape. They don't really have a face, you know, except for this like pure golden uh, swirling disc embedded in the center of their body, right? They're sat down with like one arm propped on uh, their knee and Shuhai cuts in and says, she's saying she doesn't know. You could have just said that, Ustoy. It's not that simple. It never is with you. This is fucking ridiculous. Our troops need help. I'm gonna go commune. Karvach, we can't always rely on our gods to give us all of the answers. They don't know either. Mengshen, Zhidi, I don't care about your stupid fucking god of dreams. I, I need a breather. And Karvach like turns around, right? It stomps away. And Juan just, Continues like plucking at the Gutsian, right? As Shuhai <laughs> like chuckles at the conflict. Uh, and off, like standing by the edge of the cliff, Ying Jolt, this gold skinned tiefling, it's just sort of has like their arms crossed over like uh, their chest and is sort of tisking to themselves and like looking out over the battlefield, and, like ignoring all this, all this infighting. And Dewey, as Karvach stomps off, like. Time and space sort of fold and bend around you, right? Like you're suddenly like you're in place, but like a tunnel is whooshing around you as you like snap forward in time and space to find Karvach in a clearing in a wood, also stained crimson from the blaringly red light all around you. But this wood used to be beautiful. Now, much of it has been reduced to dust from the war against the stranger. Uh, and Karvach is just kind of like pacing around, pacing around, muttering to herself. Uh, it's sort of like a moment of, of need, of crisis. And you find yourself standing there amidst the bushes. What do you do? Uh, I think Dewey tries and like moves within the bushes to get as close to Karvach to hear what's going on. Okay. You notice as you like walk through the bushes, like your body like phases through it. Almost like you're kind of incorporeal or a ghost or not fully here. Like you're just, you're watching something that you weren't a part of, but is now being communicated to you in some way. Is Karvach talking to herself? Yeah, as you inch closer, you hear like Karvach's muttering voice getting louder, right? Like under her breath as she's pacing, like, guidance, come on, I need some sort of sign, something, please. Galtanger, please. Uh, and you like feel like your feathers ruffle with it, even though you're half incorporeal. A breeze pushes through this grove, through this clearing, and you see like the branches above rustle and like part, and you see shafts of golden light, like the only spot of like non-red in this entire mired landscape, like shaft through, right? Like the gaps in, in the trees, right? Fall upon Karvach. Karvach stops immediately and looks up. Like lets out a quick breath, and you can like almost even though you're not a blood hunter, you can like almost like hear her heart rate starting to return to normal as like her her prayer, her plead is answered in some way, and it's it's the light that speaks to Kardvach, emanating warm voice, just teeming with holy divinity, radiates outward from every direction and no direction at once, and Dewey. The god shard of Galtanger spoke to you through the white calf. But this is not a god shard. This is a full god. 
and its voice, Galtinger's full voice, cannot be contained by the now. It leeches into every, like, twang, every string, every fabric of the weave, and even, like, touches you in your ghostly incorporeal form. Like, you're like, God damn, if I spoke up, maybe this Galtinger in the past would even hear me now. That's how powerful this voice feels. Like, it transcends space and time. And... The voice doesn't speak in language. It doesn't use words. It communicates through feeling, gesture, thought, and magic alone. But because we can't communicate like that as people, as players, I'll translate. The light says in non-language, My child, what is it? I am always here for you in your time of need. And Karvach, like, paces a little bit, but stays within the periphery of the light. I... I just don't, I don't understand. Why us? Why, why me? I was just a farmer. I was just a peasant. I never asked for this. I, I had a sister. I had a mother, a, a father, a family who needed me. Why, why was I chosen to lead the rebellion against the queen of the valley? Why was I chosen? to fight in this never-ending war against this stranger. Why me, Galtanger? And the light responds, Because you are strong, Karvach. You are stronger than you give yourself credit for. Your soul is open to destiny. But what does that mean? Plenty of other people are strong too, stronger than me. I'm just, I'm just a normal person. And I don't really, I don't know what I'm doing. Peace, child. Destiny has chosen you and you will answer its call. You will win. I am sorry I cannot say more. What if I don't want to, can I, can I give this to someone else? Can you choose someone else? I don't... I'm so... I don't want to lose. I don't want to fail. I don't want to let people down. What if... What if we lose? And the eight realms are consumed by blood and wing and eye forever. You will not lose. Because losing as a paragon is simply not an option. Please, Galtanger, I'm just a person. You're a god. I don't understand what you mean by destiny. Aren't you destiny? Don't you choose your paragons? Don't we have some say in her own future? No. And neither do we. You must follow the path laid out for you by destiny, by providence, because to stray is to doom us all. Fight against the stranger and win. If not now, then some other time. But eventually, you shall. And the light begins to like dissipate and fade away. Karvash is not done talking. She's like pacing around. She's like reaching for the light with her hands. Please, Galtanger, radiant one. I. <sighs> and she like stomps a hoof like onto the ground, right? And like turns and retreats into the bushes. And Tiffy goes, but, but they did fail. And if it's okay with you, I think the, the illusion sort of fades from the edges of his vision and he finds himself standing 
um, right at the edge of the steps, facing up at this giant stone sun that's like radiating light on him. And it's like jarring uh, to be back in this reality. And he's like, oh, and he steps backwards and he falls off the, the stairs. As you step backward and like start to fall off the stairs, right? Even as like the mists are like receding from your eyes, a strong arm catches you. And you're at a main part of you is like, oh, fuck, like rev, <laughs> rev to the fucking rescue again. Uh, but the arm that catches you, though, like buff, is connected to a torso that's connected to a horse's body. As like you turn around and you look up into the face of Kardavach Tarai. Yeah. So you're my successor. It's OK. Uh, you're still dreaming. How am I supposed to do this? <laughs> She, like, gently eases you back up onto the step. So, like, she's, like, on the steps, like, below you, and, like, you're above her, and you're looking down at her, right? She looks up at you, cocks her, like, shaved head to the side, like, her dark tattoos, like, just glimmering in this low, ever-present, radiant light. Truthfully, Dewey, I don't know. I'm just an echo of a fragment of a memory here. But I do know that Karvach always doubted herself. Everyone thought she was this confident, perfectly strong paragon. Thought that I was flawless. But I wasn't. I was never sure of my place in destiny. And yet, here we are. In the crypt of a hero of Kirtal. Funny how history overlooks our failures when we end up saving the world. I'm sorry for putting you in this position, Dewey. I wish I had better answers for you. But I do know I never asked for this hand to be dealt to me. But still I was. And I had to deal with it. Because if I didn't step up, then the people I loved, they'd die. But you died anyways. I died happy. <laughs> My sister and I ended up seeing the world together after the great rebuilding, after the stranger left. I died surrounded by friends and family. Not a warrior's death like I always thought I'd have, but a person's death. Normal, peaceful, understated. I wish you could have a death like that too. It's the only right way to go. Freedom, true freedom, from all the burdens that shackle us as paragons. But it appears prophecy has other plans for the second paragons. If there's a second iteration of paragons, there's no telling how many times this will happen. That's true. Who's to say, even after the eight of you sacrifice yourselves and the shards of your gods to stop the stranger a second time around, it won't just come back 10,000 years later. But maybe we'll be better prepared then. Maybe you can tell Andake the truth. Let the eight realms know exactly what they're up against. Maybe I get to live whatever you're living in the past, in our dreams. Something I do know that's nice about being a paragon is even after you die, you're never truly gone. I mean, look at me. I'm here, fragment of an echo of a shard of a memory. My real self is somewhere out there in the beyond, I think. But there are echoes of me here in the now, and in every story that's told about me, and in every song whispered about us, we live on. I don't know, that kind of goes against the whole dying a person's death, huh? It does. 
I'm not sure how I can be both. I wasn't sure either. I don't think it's something you can choose. I think it's something that happens to you. Like destiny. The choices you make, of course, shape what happens. But how you're remembered, that's up to the people. Just make sure, Dewey, that there is a people to remember the eight of your sacrifices by in the future. You can do this. And Karvash, like, raises, like, an arm and, like, rests a hand on your shoulder. You were chosen by fate. And I'm sorry. And it sucks. And I wish you weren't. And I wish I wasn't either. But here we are. The people we love need us. They always have. And they always will. Uh, Dewey goes to place his hand on Karvach's hand on his shoulder. You feel, you feel for just a second solidity and warmth emanating off of her fingers. Thank you. I'll try to make you proud. Try to make everyone proud. I know you can, and you will, Dewey. Just remember, the greatest freedom of all is accepting what you can't control and controlling what you can. Neither of us chose this fate, but now that we're here, let's fucking kick some ass. And with that, I think, like, your hand, like, falls onto your shoulder completely as those bare, like, centimeters of space, the fingers disappear. And there's, like, golden ripple of dust, and Karnvach just vanishes in front of your eyes. And I think there's, like, a moment where, like, you actually step into, like, actually being awake now. Like, and every, like, this, like, kind of warm, like, pillowy, gentle feeling, like, just disappears completely. And you're, like, back in, like, actually in reality. Yeah, the cold, hard stone of the steps. Yes. Yes. And on that for you, Dewey, we're actually going to pan across uh, this dais where you're just sort of, like, on it and, like, maybe reeling and taking all of this in. Uh, We're going to pan across it. To find a biku. A biku. You're leant up against the stone, zoned out. Right? Why don't you paint us a picture of what that looks like? Uh, biku sits crisscross applesauce, back straight up against the stone. She's tried to get into like a corner, but it sounds like this room is more like circular than square. Yep. So she's like trying to find a corner and uh, bless her heart. She walks like in a full circle before she realizes it's a circle. Uh, so she sits down and she puts her head, she like looks down and like her hands are like cupped like this and just like stares, I think, into her hands and drifts. And after about an hour or two, uh, as she hears, like, I think like, probably hears like, do we walk around? Like, hears someone walk around, hears Rev every so often, like, Ugh. You see in her hands, like, tears start to pool. And it's not like a lot. It's not like a torrent, but it's like every so often as she's like in her head, just like, I really hate this. Why do I keep thinking about lavender? There was that time in the temple. I was close. V saw you. You you did not like her. Do you not like me? Yeah. And it's just like talking to herself, which is all she can really do. Mm. A couple hours in, you're like vaguely aware of some movement as like Dewey's 
you you surmise sleepwalking. Like, you don't see yeah. the uh, apparition of Carvajal or anything like that. No. You just see Dewey sort of, like, walk up out of his tent very, like, very quietly. Like, Rev doesn't even notice. But I think you're in d- direct line of sight on your periphery. Yeah. You see, like, Dewey yeah. go up the dais and then just pause there for a really long time, for, like, several hours is Paragon what it feels stuff. like. Yep, Paragon stuff. Uh, yeah, it is underwear. They're always doing some, uh, always weird shit. They're always doing weird shit. Yep, yep. Like, Vasca did some sleepwalking, too. It's no big deal. Uh, <laughs> And as your head is like filled with these these thoughts about lavender and dragons and the mysterious figure in the in the cave that you and Vosk and Costas went through, you hear another noise. The rustling of feathers. Sort of like breezes past your ears. You can't move. So I think right. like I think you're not sure if it's real or not. Right? In terms of like, is am I like is this like sleep paralysis demon, right? Or like, is this like actually happening? Like, it's impossible to tell. You just sort of hear like dewey. whispers. <laughs> right, the dewey flapping his wings, right? Like, who knows? Like, like Wait, these dewey doesn't fly. <laughs> from like one year to another, to another, to another. A smell that isn't lavender begins to fill your nostrils. It's like this like very sweet, like rotting smell. Uh, not unpleasant, right? Uh, of like grave dirt. Uh, and like trees, like old ancient trees mired in bogs and swamps, right? For some people, that's comforting. And for others, it's deeply unsettling, right? And perhaps it's up to you to decide which camp a is in. And as this smell like wafts into your nostrils and like the feathers go, go past, a voice, and you recognize it as like coming from Rev's direction. Uh, sort of drifts into your mind, but it's not Rev's voice at all. And the god shard of the Raven Queen, Abiku, whispers into your mind, I remember you, Abiku. In this holy place, we can talk. I can't, she can't move, but she is like edge of panic. Uh, there's no way she's never like talked with a. I mean, the only other time she talked with a god is Galtanger, who was not about it. Uh, peace, oh. Abiku. I mean no harm. Okay, I just know how you feel about things that are supposed to be dead, and I'm definitely supposed to be dead, and I am not, and I, I so I'm sorry if I broke your rules. My paragon is an undead revenant. Those who worship me in all my flavors mean well, but I have no one shape. Okay. I, I, your, God, I am sorry. I've only ever talked to Galtenga and she was very angry, so I'm not really sure. Do you want to be called your highness? I, you remember me. I don't remember you. Do you know who I am? I do, Abiku. It's been a long time, even for gods. Where's your other half? You know, you say that like I remember who I am. And I am trying to be polite, but I think you and I both know I don't know what you are talking about. But I think a part of you does. And you like smell like a wisp of lavender or just breeze past you. I don't know, but I would 
really love to find whoever they are, or remember them at least. Did, did we meet you together? Oh, Abiku. Nitbuza, my other half, regrets what we did, or rather, how we failed. We tried, the four of us, to make fate choose you. Before this, before the first stranger war, before even the first paragons, we tried to shape destiny. But destiny had other plans. Wait, you tried to... I was supposed to... You wanted me to be a paragon? She does not contradict you, Abiku. And she goes on to say, I know who you are, but I cannot tell you. The act would break your already shattered mind. Untether you from this place, send you reeling into oblivion. Was... Can I ask a question? Please. I think her tears start picking up as much as I can in this state, and she's like, I just need... Was I a good person? You did your best, Abiku. I loved you. I still do. I think... All four of us do, though Yudabathi is ashamed and Nitbuza is regretful. And Sen, well, Sen is fickle. But I, Abiku, have always loved you. Okay, so the four of you work together to try to help me do something, but I'm not ready to be told it, and I did my best, and I clearly failed because I was very dead. Death is not always failure, Abiku. Well, I guess I should say I failed because everyone thinks wherever I came from is not real. They killed each other. There's a long pause, actually and just like the rustling of feathers in your ears. Um, As you feel this like grief that doesn't belong to you, emanating from this shard of the Raven Queen, kind of settle in your heart. And maybe like your tears pick up even more, but these are not your tears that are being shed into your cupped hands. These are shimmering black and white tears of the Raven Queen herself pouring out through your eyes into your palms. Oh, my sweet child. You tried. You both tried. And I am so sorry we could not help you more. You didn't fail us, dear one. We failed you. We all did. You... You keep mentioning the four of you. Did the other four not agree? Were you all fighting too? The other four championed 
someone else. But I have said too much, Abiku. I do not wish to unravel your mind. You must discover your past, your truth, on your own. But I can guide your steps. When your work here is done, go north. You must return to the end to learn your beginning. Okay. Um, thank you. This is also the most company I've had while trying to sleep in a long time. Do you have to go? I, I, I'm sure you know everything that's been going on, but it, it is, it is nice to talk to someone. I will give you warmth and comfort until the sun doesn't rise. Thank you. And I think for the rest of the night, you and the Shard of the Raven Queen talk. It's nice! And for, I think maybe for once, this sleep, half-sleep, half-death you're in, Mm -hmm. doesn't scare or unsettle you, right? As much as it used to. Because you've got a friend with you. I think I just talked to her about, like, my favorite ravens I've talked to. She knows them all. She knows all of their (laughs) names and their true names, too, right? She's like, oh, that silver eye, such a swindler, and her poor lackey. Black beak. Yeah, and she's, like, you know, like, going off about them. Yeah, yeah. Like, she knows all all the birds. She knows all the bird goss, right? It's it's really nice, actually. She loves talking bird goss, so she's just (laughs) talking bird goss. Dewey's left out of the bird goss. Um... And on that, we are going to pan across the camp in this crypt, right? Away from where Abiku is internally talking with the Raven Queen, the whisper of this god shard, pan across this low crackling bonfire, causing the only spark of light in this dark chamber to a tent, where we find V, head nestled within a bouquet of winter flowers that she picked for her beloved. Pillow framing her face, a blanket to help ward off the cold, V. I think you've fallen asleep, and I think you, I mean, as with every night for the Paragons, you brace yourself for the fucking nightmare again, right? The same fucking nightmare that's tormented you for the past fucking year uh, of your life. But instead of a nightmare... First image that greets you as your consciousness drifts off into slumber is not an image at all, actually, it's a sound. Clopping of hooves against tile, just a kind of blanket of, like, warm darkness all around you as you get more and more tired. And a voice, a voice you've never heard before in your life, V, but that still sounds oddly familiar, like a long-forgotten friend. It's... Been too long since you could rest, hasn't it, Paragon of Scott and Nectus? Who? Yes? Who are you? You're in my crypt. Carvach? Be free from your nightmares, at least for tonight. Would you like that? Oh, that would be so, so delightful. I can't craft your dreams like Juan, but I can at least grant you freedom from pain. I would like that very much. You left us an apology, and thank you for that. Because before today, before this moment, 
I didn't think Paragons of old were like us. I am but a ghost of a ghost here, but I do know that within my heart I had always harbored doubt and fear and joy and rage and pain and desire and love just like you. Mm, I think with each one of those words, it's almost like a a cup of warm tea with each drink. It's a sip of warm tea with each of those words. And V feels her heart just more full. I'm ready to give up what I have to to stop this. And I am so sorry that fate has asked that of you. Of all of you. It seems these rivers of fate are not always heading to the wide open oceans, but looks like the river I'm on is straight to the Court of Ravens. And you will be welcomed there with open arms, I'm sure. I hope so. I don't know how much you know about me, but I haven't exactly led the most proper of lives. Neither did I. I had to scrounge as a peasant farmer. I had to lie and cheat just to survive, just to put food in the mouths of my loved ones, my family. Is that a crime? We do what we have to to survive. That's right. And now we do what we must to save everyone we've ever loved. I think V gets almost like this feeling of like falling backwards, but in a very gentle way. And like, but like she reaches out a hand I think she says out loud as she's falling away, this feels so warm and I thank you. And like, as she's going away, just like, thank you. And like, whoosh, like she just feels herself sort of crawl into something else, some other dream, some other place. Yeah, as like a blanket of slumber washes over you and you thank Karvach's ghost. Uh, you just hear like the last words that she says to you are, rest, Paragon rest and V for the first night in almost a year you don't dream at all you have a dreamless deep restful beautiful slumber the next day dawns cold and gray but your party doesn't know it deep within the crypt of Karvach Turai you're awoken uh, by the gentle cawing, I think, of raven song uh, that Rev has sort of woven as like a, a natural alarm uh, into sort of rouse the camp. Uh, and I think Dewey, I mean, after waking up <laughs> on the dais, I assume like you return to your tent to like actually get some sleep. And Abiku, like you feel like the strand of the Raven Queen like dissipating off of your a body like morning dew under like a, a bright sun, right? She like says goodbye to you. And I think the last thing she like whispers to you as like you actually like you rouse and like your paralysis ends uh, is, it was so good to talk and catch up with you, Abiku. You're a good friend. Oh, yes, thank you. And I will make sure to keep tabs on that uh, silver eye. Yes, I will I will let you know the, the gas next time you're in a holy temple and you can talk to me. Thank you, Abiku. Arm yourself for the day. Be well. 
Oh, yes. Uh, and as her person, the tear she caught in her hand, she drinks it. Okay. Yeah, you drink the, the full cup of tears, like, in your cupped palms. You just drink it yes. down as you, like, as you, like, wake back up, right? Uh, and V, you're also awoken, right? Very gently. Like, a real, like, you feel so fucking well-rested when your eyes open, like, to the sound of, like, birdsong all around. Mm -hmm. I also think when V wakes up, uh, she has this little just check-in to feel like Scott and Nectar swirling around her heart. And she has to, like, tell them, like, soon. I will go soon. Like she has to, I think she's gotten in the habit of every morning. They're like, Morose, follow your heart, go. And she's had to like, we're going soon. Yeah, like quelling these like really like excitable like fires in you, burning, like yearning, yearning for oxygen toward the north, right? But you're just like mm. quelling them. You're telling them like, I just need time here, right? And they, they buy it for another day. Uh, you wake fully and Rev pulls herself up from like a stump of like a, a broken pillar that she was leaned against, I think, inside this tomb. And she's like scrubbing at her eyes. And you all, as you like come out of your tents and as you get up from like the walls you're leaning against and whatnot, get the sense that she also fell asleep uh, when she was supposed to take wash because she never woke someone to take the next shift. She stretches, looks around, blinks, sort of shakes her head a little and looks like oddly well-rested. Perhaps like like she locks eyes with you, V, as you exit the tent, like cocks her head to the side and just sort of like whispers to you, did she, did she visit you too? Uh, Karavach? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, I just had the best sleep of my life. I know, me too, I just. No nightmares? Oh my Nothing. God. Felt so good that Fucking like Fucking life changing. Quiet. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, Dewey, did you also get that? Dr. Lusa was right. We should sleep at holy places more often. Uh, no. I'm glad. I'm glad you got some good rest. W what do you mean, no? What did you? Did she forget about get... you? Did she? Did she skip over you? I didn't get the uh, the quick visit and the full night of good rest like everyone else apparently got. What did you get? Uh, more dreams. So, but like less about a bloody battle. Well, there was a bloody battlefield. Uh, I had a good talk with Carvach. That's about it. Good. Good talk is good. Speaking of good talks with demi-gods, ready to set off for the herd, kick that fucking hunter's ass. I'm fucking ready to go. I feel energized. I feel invigorated. I feel, ironically, I feel alive. That's, that's funny, Rev. I like that. I wasn't trying to be funny. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, oh, speaking of being alive, uh, Abiku, Abiku, you up? Yes. Sorry, I I don't have to blink. I forget to. Right. Uh, did you talk to me while I was sleeping last night or something? I feel like we. No, I gossiped with the Raven Queen all night. She is very polite. What? 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 I got. I I'm sorry. <clears throat> I gossiped with the Raven Queen all night. W what do you mean you gossiped with my God all night? Um. It seems very straightforward. What, like she, like she came out of my soul and talked to you? I don't know if she came out of your soul. I cannot move my head, so I couldn't look at you, but she talked to me. What did she- It sounded like- What? What did she talk to you about? A uh, silver eye is very tricky. Um, Blackbeak is his subordinate and very unfortunate for so. There is a bird that flies up in Moroz who likes to steal apple seeds. Wait, um, so when you say she, my god gossiped with you, you meant she, like, talked about what birds were up to with you? 
what I love to talk about, but there's a lot of bird gossip. There's a whole like, you look confused. Rev, Rev, Rev's hand has subconsciously gone up to her chest, right, like around where her soul is centered, and like has like touched the sternum, right, like with like a gloved hand, is like looking at you really weirdly. She didn't tell me. I didn't feel her leave or talk to anyone else. Well, she said it's because we were here, so maybe just like she channeled through you to, because like the God Shard's like a piece, right? So maybe a different piece talk to i don't know how it works she just she talked to me um about the birds and she had met me before because i died which makes sense you know but oh, she couldn't right. she couldn't tell me who i was because i am like too broken because v told me i'm very broken which makes sense but that she is hoping i can find who i was before or would be ready for i her see to tell me this explanation seems to center Rev more. Like, there's a reason why. So she's just like fucking randomly talking to you. She like nods. Uh huh. Okay. R- right. Uh, of course. Yeah. Well, I guess it didn't disturb me, and I, I guess it's none of my business what the two of you talked about. Though she's technically living in me. Though, you know what? I'm feeling too good to, to get caught up in the confusion of this. On the, you on the way to Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Why don't you? On our way up, past the oh, corpse oh, God, limbs yes. thing. Okay, so, yeah. She all right, starts, let's pack up these. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. Yep, yep. We, like, start, like, all of you, like, start packing up and, like, getting ready to leave. I think on, like, the busyness of all of you beginning to fold, you know, the tents down, roll up the bedrolls, right, stamp out the fire, pack up the logs and whatnot, uh, we're gonna fade on this scene uh, and fade into the uh, clan of Turai. Uh, we see a collection of these, like, gurs, these cloth and hide huts and yurts uh, clustered around the base of this golden mountain at the bottom of which we know our heroes are currently packing up the crypt. And we see, like, the morning, like, dawn on this place, right? The long shadows reaching out from underneath the mountain beginning to, like, recede as, like, a wave of foggy dew rolls in from the west, right? We see these broken, empty animals animal pens, a couple of like early risers sadly shoveling manure, like looking out hopefully at every like sudden noise to see, oh, are our animals coming back? Uh, oh no, that was just like a, a breeze wash, wafting by, right? Or oh, oh no, that was just a roll of thunder in the distance, not hooves. And there's like a really morose feeling as dense as this like mist rolling through rolling through town uh, as people begin to like open tent flaps to their gurs come out uh, and start to bustle about their day. But kind of without their animals, there's a sense of, like, directionlessness. Like, there's people just, like, sort of sitting, like, playing cards. Like, who look like farmers or maybe, like, animal husbandryers. Uh, who, like, don't have anything to do. Because they don't have anything... They don't have herds to tend to. They don't have horses to feed. They don't have sheep to trim and shear. They don't have cows to milk. What the fuck are they gonna do, right? And we see, like, um, uh, like an elder, like, walking out back. Like, opening up, like, a big, like, icebox grain storage. Looking in, like, taking out, like, storage food to cook, right? And, like, milk to drink, right? And like meats to eat because they're starting to run low. And amidst all of this in the center, like pacing around kind of like a maypole, you see uh, a tiefling person with cloven hooves, Udam Agon, the Agon of this clan, like pacing around very anxiously, like done up in these elaborate tattoos that sort of kind of look like Karvash's tattoos a little bit, like pacing around and around, like surrounded by like a little retinue of people as they're like muttering and glancing up at like the mountain occasionally and like waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, And that's when someone shouts, they're here, they're back, I see them. Uh, and Udam Agan turns around and looks as Abiku, V, Dewey, and Rev 
come back down out of like a thick copse of trees and like enter into the periphery of where this village is clustered. Oh, oh, and Udama Agun like rushes forward, right, to like greet your party. Oh, were you able to clear out the monsters? Uh, were you able to restore our, our tomb? Oh, yes, that was the easy part. It was, it was great. It's wonderful in there. Uh, you've done such a beautiful job of taking care of that crypt, but everything is good. <sighs> Everything's out. Oh, oh, the tomb, the crypt. Uh, the tomb of Karvach has been cleared! Uh, and the Agon like calls out like to everyone, all the villagers, and they need this news. They need a win. So like everyone like starts cheering and like hugging each other and like 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 clasping hands and like jumping up and down, right, in happiness. And like Udam Agon turns around and says, and were any of you able to contact the, the Kagon? Or I understand maybe you were in the hill this entire time, so you weren't able to reach her, but thank you so, so much. We, we owe you a life debt for clearing out those monsters. You should have been in there. Our, our friend uh, Dewey Quirk here just single-handedly destroyed whatever was in there and really oh, showed off the, the Pentagon the, of Galtander's uh, skills. The small I, one? As as I look at Dewey, I drew it craft, so there's like a little like a little sun over Dewey's head and like. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, why don't V you roll persuasion with advantage from the glitzing to like make Dewey look impressive? If only it was deception. Uh, actually, no persuasion works for me quite well. Does a twenty three work? Twenty. The DC was really high because this village's skepticism of Dewey was really high. 23 is respectable, is what I'll say. It's respectable. They look at, like, the glitzy light light show, right? Like, like the sun, like, beaming above, like, Dewey's feathered crown. We pan down to see Dewey. Dewey, how are you taking all this gas? Uh, Dewey looks both sides and, like, he's under his breath. He's like, it was just the one monster, right? <laughs> it was, it was really, really big. big. It was, like, it was like, terrifying. It was, like, oh, monsters. yeah. It was huge. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was me. Okay. You say that, and like a couple of people are like nodding. They're like, oh, wow. Okay. I guess I can't judge a book by its cover. Uh, can't judge a cow by its horns. You know? Uh, and, but Udam Agan just goes, uh, huh. Right. Yes, of course. Uh, the Dewey. Yes. Uh, the Kagan did tell us about the Dewey. Um, well, thank you, regardless, whoever dealt the killing blow. We were very, very grateful. Oh, this means we can finally go into the tomb and place offerings for Karvach and Galtinger to, to maybe, maybe turn our luck around. Yes, you'll go on in there. Everything's ready. Karvach is waiting for you to bring many a gift. Uh, right. As you see, like a, a group of people begin to like try to set off t into their homes to find offerings, but Rev throws out an arm to prevent anyone from moving. Like her cape fluttering like ominously and confidently in this like breeze, like gusting through this village. Wait, Agon, we haven't been entirely truthful uh, about exactly what's happened here. V. Is there something you'd like to say to these poor people who I think may be blaming the wrong person? All right. Well, friends, I know I don't want to get started on the wrong foot here, but uh, a while ago, we were with Toktoa. I may have accidentally knocked over some figurines that may have said, hey, this village is where we need to send some stuff. 
So I might be the reason that you haven't had anything. However, the destiny of fate, the rivers of fate have brought us to you to fix it. So no harm, no foul, right? Dewey and Abiku, are either of you going to assist? Uh, I think he just, Abiku goes, I'm just glad it wasn't my fault. I thought I, when I knocked them all over that one night. There's no way to truly tell whose fault it is. I'm not going to count either of those as an assist. Uh, no, so absolutely no. not. Yeah, yeah, How yeah. can I possibly assist here? <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I guarantee you, if she's even say it's not helpful, she speaks up louder. Uh, give me a straight persuasion roll, V. And I'm going to say the DC for this is even higher than one with Dewey to win these people over. All right, well, I'm going to use the inspiration I gained during the dream. Oh, my God. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, can I use a luck point? I've got yes, luck you can. Again now you can. Yeah, scene. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Nat 20. <laughs> Plus nine for 29. Max's <laughs> Yeah, Dewey just like starts walking off. And there's like a long silence as you confess your crimes to these people who have been directly wronged by you. And then the Agon turns around and confers, like with the people, right? In like hushed Kyrian, which none of you can understand. <laughs> they just put up a finger, they turn and they talk in like a sidebar. And like there's silence as like Rev is just sort of like staring and like nodding silently, like a sentinel ready to accept V's punishment, V's sentence. Uh, and then these people like open up again, they turn back to you and the Agon says, because you helped clear out the crypt and because you decided to be honest with us and you have liaison with the Kagon directly, who does not have poor judgment. And if she decided to trust you, then perhaps there's something worth it there. And because you appear to be genuinely remorseful, we have agreed to not run you out of the town. I think V like looks at what's left of the town. It's just like, oh, thank goodness. I would hate to leave all v, of this behind. V, v. I, I rain in the sarcasm. Thank you so much. I appreciate your forgiveness. I'm so sorry for the harm that I've caused you. Here are your horses. Please get out. Shadow. <laughs> yeah, like a group of people like lead your horses forward and shadow like knickers. They look really shiny. Oh my God. These horses, their hooves have been cleaned. Their manes have been brushed and like groomed. Like they are so shiny. They look brand new. Like just walked off the dealership horses. Uh, Cause you figure this entire village. Just uh, walked off the dealership horses. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, because you figure this was an entire town that has no horses left, that knows so much about horses, that are missing their horses, and then suddenly they get four horses for an entire day. They like did your horses up. Like your horses are like, they look beautiful. They're gleaming. They're gleaming, right? They outshine Dewey, who's getting druid crafted, right? Um, get your horses uh, and hop on them. Say goodbye. And as you like, you're clopping out of there, Rev turns to you, V, as like your horses begin to go up a hill and like the light gets brighter and brighter across the sky. You can start to see color like flush back in, right? Like water washing over a painting and showing the detailing, right? Like all over you, right? As like it gets brighter and brighter and more gray and more gray and the mist begins to dissipate. Rev turns to you, V, and says, I'm proud of you, V, for telling the truth. Well, somebody didn't give me an option. Nope. He squints at Rev. 
I do love your uh, silver tongue uh, in more ways than one, V, but um, I did die and come back animated uh, by a desire for righteous justice. I don't love conning people. We helped them out in the end. We did, we did, we did. And they came to a consensus of their own accord. They weren't being manipulated. So, you know, got off pretty easy. You know, I like when it's easy to get off of. Never mind, never mind. <clears throat> so, uh, Dewey, are you ready to uh, find this herd? God, if I were you, I could get I could get away with so much. <laughs> do you want to get away with? What do you not get away with already? What do you do that requires getting away with things? What do I do that y'all not make fun of me persistently for? <laughs> Have I? I, I Abigu like stops and looks at Dewey in the eyes. I'm sorry if I've made fun of you. I speak very literally that some people think I am joking, but I just say words when I mean them. No, not you. Not on purpose anyways. Oh. When have I ever made fun of you, Dewey? (laughs) Dewey (laughs) takes like a swing at Rev, but I think she like easily dodges. (laughs) On horseback? On your little pony? You're swinging up at Rev on your pony. She's she's riding a massive fucking Frisian. Like if you're lucky, you, you can hit you, the bottom of her foot. You slap her calf. It was an honorable try, Dewey. Just this is what I mean. Shut everyone. Shut up. When you're a fully realized, I have to make fun of you now because when you're a fully realized Paragon, you're gonna destroy us all with your shining, shininess of shiny. Right. Speaking of which, Dewey. Have you come to a conclusion about whether or not you're going to accept Galtanger the second time around? Because after we fight that hunter thing and get to her, and she still rejects you, I don't know if there's going to be a third chance. Uh, let's just fight the hunter and see what happens. You're not going to try to make her go into that. I mean, she broke it. Yeah, but I I have, I'm good at like fixing stuff. Do we? Anyways. Anyway, speaking of the hunter, actually, we should probably talk strategy before we hurdle headfirst into, frankly, getting our asses handed to us again. Though we did pull off a few stunts, but it felt like that thing wasn't even hurting. Like we were just bugs at its ankles. We have to come up, come up with some sort of stratagem. Uh, and maybe on that, actually, I'd like to ask each of you as a GM, how do you prepare to fight the hunter again? What's different about your approach to getting ready to fight them this time around? So I think for Abiku, she's still, I think she's like, there's the hunter and the dog. I think she's like, what if it's like a proximity thing? Like, what if she can lure the dog further away? Because like they come out in the dark and it's like absolute dark. So what if we set up like a secondary spot where Abiku can lure, lure the dog away? Like between Bo and Sun, like, kite it, so it just keeps chasing her, because she's like, what if it's, like, a proximity, like, if they're too close, like, they can't be, neither can be harmed or something, or something like that. She's like, if I book it, I can be far and still shoot, as long as we set up, like, ways for me to see it, if we set up, like, a little hallway of torches or something. That's pretty smart. Take inspiration for that new approach and those ideas that Abiku's offering up. I think the biggest adjustment uh, will be she didn't use gamble at all that last fight, which uh, so she's thinking, you know, she's going to pull out stops with gamble 
she wants to get higher up on it. Also, she thinks she's thinking about the fact that it only comes out in the dark. So things that bring light into the world may be a decent way to attack things. Which she kind of did with a lot of fireball stuff, but just she's thinking about other ways if there's a way to utilize fire attacks or anything that produces light that might harm this thing more. Very smart. I'll have a point of inspiration as well for these these new tactics. I don't think you've ever seen Dewey practice fighting, maybe ever, but he's like, he spends his off time or like late at night when everyone else is resting, he'll go out and like beat up some empty monsters and trying to get into like, uh, so he can like take a couple more hits, right? But also he thinks there's something, there's something with the, uh, he got into the thing's mind, the hunter's mind. Um, and there's something about disappointment and the mother that he thinks he can maybe get back, tap back into to utilize against it. Love that. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. As yeah, as all of you are like sharing your ideas, I think coming up with like a full strategy, like takes maybe the course of several days as you like track the herd, which has now gotten like maybe like a day ahead of you. Right. So it's taking you some time to, to keep up with, with it. Uh, and we see like a flash, like a montage of like your group, like traveling, like in profile, like across these like rolling, they like almost look like dunes of sand, but we know them to be like grassy hillocks going up and down and then like flat stretch stretches of like nothing, but just grass in every direction. And then like really rocky stretches with kind of craggy ground, uh, bifurcating streams going through like thick blankets of fog and mist one day and then like a snow and rain comes down another day right and then it's really bright and gray another day right we like go through this miniature montage uh, of just your horses and you like walking as like, like days flash by and like weather changes and your party like sets up camp and talks and sets up camp and talks on the late afternoon you come upon the herd you see sort of tucked uh, in the, at the base of the Ogumor River Highlands to the far north, Kirtal slash Morosi border. The highlands that like, ramp up, 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 and sort of crater down to form Zima Lake, like up north across the highlands. Uh, you see at the base of it, the herd. The cold wind of Morose billows down past frosty hillocks uh, and tundras, uh, like gusting, carrying the scent of hundreds, if not thousands of pack animals, horses, zebras, rhinos, hippos, giraffes, uh, elephants even, huge like mammoths, like thick woolly mammoths, like animals of every shape and stripe and size are just sort of huddled like in the shadow of this hill. They seem to be waiting. The way they're positioned is really interesting. On the outside of the herd, as you're on top of like a, a, of a tall hill looking down at it, maybe half a mile away, uh, the outside of the herd is like filled with like really strong, tough animals. Like this is where the rhinos and the tusked beasts are, right? Almost like they're forming like a shield around like the softer inner parts of the herd. And there's like bigger animals, almost like watchtowers, right? Like stationed like here and there at almost like strategic point. Mammoth here, elephant there, giraffe there, there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as evening rolls, melds into late afternoon and begins to darken the sky, all of you see the bodies of these animals sort of shuddering against the base of this small mountain, uh, painted blue with ice, one of many peaks that comprise the highlands to the north. The hunter will be coming soon. What do you all do? I mean, Abiku is going about her plan. She's setting up 
torches from like wherever we plan to like start so she can kite the dog away because she's still like that big thing is seems like paragon work but like there's a companion and i'm a companion so companion fight Mm, yeah, I like that a lot. You like stake the ground. Uh, the, the ground here is really, really, really hard. So it takes some effort to perforate the dirt. But with Sun's help and Rev's, you know, and V's and Dewey's are able to like crack and like perforate these holes like 200 feet, like down in like the line that you want it to, to have. And you light the torches so you can at least have visibility when fighting this thing. What about you, V? B, I think, is um, maybe she's grabbing like a bunch of, she's got a bunch of torches, but she never lights torches because she just uses light. So she's like lighting the tips of all these torches so they just cast magic light. She's doing the equivalent of magic, like just practice. She's, I think, from that really good rest in two, like there's something about her body that she's like, she feels something extra in her body. She's not quite sure what. Uh, might be some more powerful magic just waiting to burst out of her. Who knows? But I think there's something about that she's just like tuning into the weave and just feeling this magic coursing through her and like trying to cultivate that through sort of like a meditative practice. Mm, I really, really love that. Yeah. You're like feeling this like swirling energy in your soul, almost like like water bursting against a dam, wanting to be let out in like a torrential like burst of strength and power. Dewey. Dewey has found like a spot equidistant from everyone else, sort of in the middle. Um, and he flies up in the air uh, and sort of like checks everyone's formations, sort of acting as like tactician um, and seeing if the hunter approaches from this direction, will we have enough coverage? Will Abiku's plan work to get the, the hound away from it? Yeah, so that's what he's doing. That's really smart. Yeah, you're sort of like you flap up into the air, looking down, like maybe shouting directions or like flapping back down and informing people like, oh, Abiku, the torches would be better if like they were closer to here. Or like V, maybe you should set up your torches like here, here and here. Like Rev, maybe you should be positioned here. Like you like help people out basically and assist them in their preparations, which is also very smart. As you kind of like draw closer to the herd, you feel your horses like strain against your bridles as you get within like a thousand feet of like the first ring of like rhinos, right? As they like, the like, foam starts to sort of like form against their newly polished like stirrups and bridles as they like seem like eager to get to the herd. Uh, but because of the week of like hard training V did, getting to know these horses, right? Getting to know Shadow in particular, V, I will have you lead an animal handling check with advantage to keep your horses in check so they don't run off to join the herd. I love this for me. So yeah, that would be 27. That's sufficient? Because, not gonna lie, V, my DC was a 25. <laughs> so that is sufficient. Ooh, the pull of the herd is strong, very strong, divine even, but your bond with these animals, V, is stronger. The horse girl triumphs. Uh, you're able to coax the horses like away from the herd and like get their blinders on, right? Like get their attention turned toward the west. Uh, and as your party like hunkers down, right? And like fingers of evening completely cover, right? Like this gray light that's been encroaching across the horizon. Soon, it's not, but the torches lit by Abiku and the ones lit by V 
that liked this entire expanse. Like a dim light radiates outward in every direction, and a chill winter wind blows through the shadows of the highlands. You smell like the horses and the herd, like a thousand, two thousand feet behind you, right, on the wind. I can hear their snickering and their, you know, the low calls of elephants every now and then. But you wait. Weapons drawn, spells prepared, magic and power at the ready, sun summoned, I'm sure. And soon, the hunter comes. Podcast editing for this episode is by C. Thomas of Oka Hien fame. Toss them a follow on Twitter at PieSharpArt. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and ExplainTrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out ExplainTrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon paragons. Azura, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Scruffesis, and Target.